With the 13th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Hello, everyone. I am Chris McPherson, and welcome to the 70th episode of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Uh, yes, I am back from my pro day circuit, yes. so to speak. Glad so, to have you back. Uh, here alongside Alex Smith and Fran Duffy, as always, guys. Phenomenal job last week. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the podcast. Great stuff from Lance Airline about what the Eagles could do with that number eight selection. And obviously, he dropped the bomb that the Eagles could be interested or positioning themselves to move up potentially to get quarterback named Carson Wentz. So, yes. Uh, we will get into this week's draft buzz. We will hear from former Eagle Scout, and he is now the Director of Scouting Development for the Scouting Academy, Dan Hatman. He is our Mr. Relevant. Our pick six this week, six players we like from small schools who are not named Carson Wentz. Our unofficial visit is Robbie Anderson, the wide receiver from Temple. Fran Duffy goes one-on-one. And your questions in our draft mailbag. But as always, we kick things off with draft buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. So the first bit of buzz is not about a player who the Eagles will select in this upcoming draft or could select. It is about you, the fans, and that Eagles draft party tickets. Every year I get tons of questions from friends and family, from fellow Eagles fans. People on Twitter want to know, when are the Eagles draft party tickets available? Well, they're going to be available April 5th. At noon on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. They are free, but remember, they do go fast. The draft party is Thursday, April 28th at Lincoln Financial Field. So, again, April 5th at noon. Get your tickets, free tickets, at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Now, let's get into the prospect news. On Monday, it was reported that Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman went to California to have a private workout for quarterback Jared Goff. Gentlemen, your thoughts? You got to do your due diligence. I mean, if you're going to be in the position to potentially get Jared Goff or Carson Wentz or uh, any of these quarterbacks that could potentially go that high, you got to go work them out. You got to you got to do your diligence, especially since you know we've talked about you've got Car- uh, Sam Bradford on a two-year deal. You've got uh, you know Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel, yeah, and there's other options there. But you really you have to do your due diligence until you find the guy that you say is your franchise quarterback for the next ten years. Mm. And, and Doug Peterson said that he prefers these private workouts with players rather than going to their pro days. So uh, this would certainly go in line with that. But um, yeah, I certainly think. And we heard from Lance Zerline last week how you know the Eagles could position themselves to move up to get one of these quarterbacks. There's also a chance that one of these two guys falls to number eight, and, and you don't even have to move up. Um, you know, there's there's still a lot that that goes into that before the draft happens. But um, look, Jared Goff. I think we all know that he's a talented quarterback. He could fit into that that Doug Peterson mold of, of what he wants in a, in a quarterback, quick decision maker, uh, smart with the football, all those kinds of things. So, uh, you know, if the report is true and they, they did have that private workout, like Fran said, I think it's, it's them doing their homework to see, hey, if, if we're on the clock and he's available, he could be our guy. Certainly. Next note comes from Alex Marvez, great national reporter for Fox Sports. Uh, he said that the Eagles will have a pre-draft visit with LSU linebacker Deion Jones. Jones is athletic and a guy that can play. That's certainly 
what his biggest strength is, is his ability to play sideline to sideline. He's one of the better movers in this linebacker group. We saw him down at the senior bowl, Alex, and you saw that athleticism display there as well as at the combine. I mean, he's a guy that can play sideline to sideline. He can be used in coverage. He can be used as a blitzer. I don't like Deion Jones as much as, say, Quan Alexander last year played. That's exactly who he replaced in that 4-3 okay. scheme as the weak side backer. Uh, Quan Alexander is very good, though. He was a fourth round. He was a fourth round pick, but he was outstanding this year. Rookie was, season, uh, yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, Deion Jones, I think, is a good player uh, and could step in potentially as a starter down the line. And where does he kind of fit in? Is he also that third, fourth round mix? If you had to, yeah, I think guess, that's probably what you're right now for him. He's probably that third, fourth, fifth round mix. I hear about athletic linebackers this year. How does he compare to Darren Lee from Ohio State? You know, Darren Lee's expected to be a high first round pick. Could be a top fifteen selection. How much of a drop-off is there going from Lee to Deion Jones? I think it's a pretty big drop-off Okay. Uh, from the, from, in terms of those two guys. Athletically, you know, I would say Lee's, Lee's better, but uh, you know, athletically they're close, but in terms of football skill, I would say there's a pretty good-sized drop-off. Jones is coming at height and weight-wise. He's 6... I want to say he's 6'1". I don't have the numbers in front of me. I want to say he's 6'1", but he's like 230. Yeah, he's light. uh, He was listed, I think, 220 by LSU. He came in at the Combine right around 230. All right, next note comes from our good friend Tony Pauline, TFYDraftInsider.net. He does his weekly draft buzz column for us on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And the big note was that Ole Miss's Pro Day, which was held on Monday, if Treadwell... Laquan Trudwell, the receiver from Ole Miss, can't run faster than a 4.65 in the 40-yard dash. Will any team select him in the top half of round one? Well, Treadwell ended up running a 4.63 and a 4.66, somewhere between 4.63 and 4.66, according to Pauline sources. So where does that leave him when it comes to being a potential top 15 top 20 selection in your guys' minds? To me, I think if he went out and, and ran a, a 4.8, then people, then it would be, yeah. uh, you know, you'd sound the alarm. But, I mean, he looks like a 4-6 guy. He runs like a 4-6 guy. Uh, it's, not, it's not surprising at all to, to see him run in that time. I don't think there's nothing that you're going to say, oh, man, that really hurts him. I, I wonder if his agent or, like, one of the scouts there actually read the Tony Pauline report, which talked about 4-6-5. Because if you look at the range that he was clocked at, between 4-6-3 and 4-6-6, he's somewhere in the middle. So it's yeah. almost like they knew the benchmark that Tony Pauline had reported on. Uh, which I think is pretty funny, but like Fran said, I think you know if if he would have put up some gigantic you know four eight or whatever number, that would have been alarming. But I think we know what Laquan Treadwell is as a wide receiver at this point, and this kind of goes right along with what we already know. Uh, in your fan mock draft, you had Corey Coleman. I did. I like to shake things up. And actually, on the podcast last week, when me and Fran talked about yep, who could right. be wild cards for that number yes. eight pick. I really wanted to put Corey Coleman in there for the Eagles, and then as I was doing the fan mock draft, I decided, hey, maybe Chip Kelly takes a shot, thinks outside the box, and uh, takes Corey Coleman. But there you go. I, I think both those two guys are, are really talented. They do different things, though. That's, that's the thing. But um, these, these numbers from uh, Laquan Treble aren't, aren't all that surprising to me. All right, I'm going to add this note in here for uh, Draft Buzz here. Quarterback Carson Wentz, okay, obviously talked a lot about him on the podcast, reportedly got a 40 out of a possible 50 on a Wonderlick. Outstanding, if true. And on Sports Radio 94 WIP in Philly, former NFL player and PhiladelphiaEagles.com analyst Ross Tucker was asked, what if the Eagles were to go up to number one, number two, to acquire Wentz? Tucker thought it would be a great move for the Eagles. It, it always goes back to what are you going to have to give up to do it. Uh, I mean, 
Robert Griffin III has been in the news recently with you know signing with the Cleveland Browns, and you go back and you look at everything that Washington had to give up to move up. They were at six, and just to go from six to two, uh, they had to give up a king's ransom to get there. So I, you wonder what, what the package would have to be for the Eagles to move up. But, uh, I mean, you guys know I, I really like Carson Wentz. Getting a 40 out of 50 on the Wonderlick test is really impressive. Have you guys ever taken the Wonderlick test? I have not. If you go online, there's actually like sites where you can go on and take like mock versions of it. I got a 47. What'd you get? I, I, I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever taken the full thing. Did you really get a 47? No, I didn't. <laughs> I don't think I've ever taken the full thing, but I've have done like a couple like example questions. But uh, I'll have to go back and uh, see see how well I can do. There we see go. if I can beat my guy Carson Wentz. All right, a couple of mock drafts here. Could be a good here. feature on the site. The three of us just take the uh, just take I the do, look. I do like that. what is this there a go. content meeting or is there this a go. podcast? There we go. I'm actually writing that down. You're writing it down. There you go. So I don't know if I want to embarrass myself. That's the only thing. A uh, couple of mock drafts here. Chad Reuter from NFL.com did a not a four round mock draft. He did a yeah. five round mock draft. This is where everybody has to step their game up in the draft process. So going from four rounds to five rounds, that's gonna that, that's huge for Chad Reuter. All right, what All right. we got? All right, first round Ezekiel Elliott. Okay. Running back, Ohio State. Can't argue with it. Third round, Farrell Cooper, wide receiver of South Carolina. And then Sean Coleman, the offensive tackle from Auburn. Love Farrell Cooper. Sean Coleman is a work in progress, great run blocker. Uh, needs to work on a lot of technique issues and pass protection. Uh, fourth round, we're going to talk about small school players who you know, could be of interest outside of Carson Wentz and uh, name who could be mentioned, Ronald Blair from love, Appalachian State. Love Ronald Blair. Fred yeah. likes Ronald Blair a lot. Yeah, big fan. He's a relentless player, uh, can play inside, can play outside. He would play as a defensive end most likely uh, for the Eagles in their 4-3, and he's a guy that just he comes off the ball, arrives at the ball with mean intentions. He's a, he's a really fun player to watch. All right, fifth round, player I'm not too familiar with here, Ken Crawley, corner from Colorado. Wiry kid, can play off, can play press. Uh, probably in that late round mix, so it makes sense to see him in the fifth round. There's, once you get down to that area of the draft, you always see so many corners come off the board, and I think Crawley will be in that mix with you know the LaShawn Sims of the world that we saw down at the Shrine game. A lot of those Shrine corners we're going to see go off the board rounds five, six, seven, uh, and Crawley I think is in the mix there. And then how about Eric Stryker? Uh, when I was going through the list with Alex before the show. I was like, oh, the last guy that he has to select in the fifth round is a journey to the draft favorite from the fall. I feel like every week we were talking about Eric right. Stryker, um, the hybrid linebacker safety from Oklahoma. Yeah, and you know, I think it would be interesting to see what kind of role he's going to play because you know, it, his game is based on the fact that he's athletic. Went to the combine and just killed it in a bad way. I mean, it was not a good workout for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the motor was not always there for, for uh, Eric Stryker. It's, I'm going to be interested to see where, what kind of scheme he ends up in and then how he's used because is he going to be used in coverage? Is he going to be used as a pass rusher? Uh, can he play stack? I mean, that's going to be the big question with him moving forward. Yeah, yeah that's going to be the key is where he fits. Uh, as a person, I think he's great. great interview. I think he'd be a real funny character to have in the locker room. But uh, as far as where he fits on the field, I think that's a whole other issue. All right, and another mock draft. This is an Eagles-only seven-round mock draft from Fandemonium columnist Tommy Lawler. And... I will say this about Tommy's mock drafts in the past, and I will actually, I'm going to actually go back and I'll look at the history, but he typically gets a couple of these right. Okay. Okay, so a little early in the process, he will do at least another one before the draft itself, but Tommy has a pretty good feel for what the Eagles are looking for, and I don't know if it's going to change this year based on new coaching staff, but I'm sure he can study Jim Schwartz. I'm sure he'll look at Doug Pearson and, and Andy Reid and, 
you know, he'll try to find the fits. But let's go through who he has here. First, he has Jared Goff, Cal, number eight overall, mm -hmm. first-round pick. Javon Hargrave, South Carolina State defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman mm -hmm. in the third round. And then you go defensive end with Carl Nassib, Penn State. Two third round picks. Both so. those defensive line prospects makes a lot, make a lot of sense in terms of uh, scheme fits for this team. Yeah, Carl Nassib just seems like like if you drew up a Jim Schwartz defensive end, it's probably Carl Nassib. What's he six foot seven, six six, somewhere in that range? Tall, you know, big defensive end. That's a Jim Schwartz guy compared to Kyle Vandenbosch. Uh, yes. Waller did in his column. Uh, Paul Perkins, a running back from UCLA, in the fourth round. I think Paul Perkins is really interesting. I'm starting to see more and more about him. Um, wasn't a guy I was really familiar with early in the process, but the more you see and the more you hear about him, I think he's a really intriguing prospect at the running back position. Very rare does the first guy make the tackle with Paul Perkins. He's very, very good at making unblocked defenders miss. All right, in the fifth round, wide receiver Sharon Peak from Clemson, and in UCLA, offensive lineman Kel Beninock. Sharon Peak really surprised me at the Senior Bowl when we saw him because I didn't know a lot about him going in. Uh, and, and just his pure speed. I forget what he ran at the combine. He may have ran like a four four five somewhere yep. in that range. Um, he's but his, yeah, he's a, he's a he's a pretty big guy, but he's got good speed. Uh, showed some pretty good hands, and he was a guy who really stood out to me at the wide receiver position at the combine. So I, I like Sharon Peak as, as a potential Eagles fit. Okay, and then in the sixth round, Boston College linebacker Stephen Daniels, and then in the seventh round, Texas Christian offensive lineman Hala Pulavati. Vitae. Very nice. There you go. Well done. And then Utah safety, Tevin Carter. Stick the landing. Uh, <laughs> to yeah. the draft. Yeah, Stephen Daniels was you know, starting middle linebacker, one of the leading tacklers for the top defense in college football in terms of numbers, and uh, definitely one of those physical linebackers that makes sense in a wide nine scheme. You know, and we'll see how much we see wide nine, but uh, that makes sense because he's so good against the run. Uh, and you talk about Tevin Carter, a guy, and Tommy mentioned this, his strength is his ability to come downhill uh, and make plays against the run. He's not a great athlete. Even though he was used in coverage often at Utah, he's, his ability is, or his strength is his ability to be physical downhill. Yeah, and I actually had the chance to talk to Tevin Carter uh, at the Shrine game, and he's just a huge guy. He's a big, he's a physical presence at the safety position. He said that he thinks that he can do it all. He can be the coverage safety. He can play up front. Uh, but I think he's kind of that, you know, the that big physical presence who can play down in the box. But I think he, he'd be a really interesting pick, especially if you can get him in the seventh round. All right, that's going to do it for our draft buzz. Now it's time for our Mr. Relevant, former NFL scout, and now the director of scouting development for the Scouting Academy, Dan Hatman. It's time for Mr. Relevant. This week's Mr. Relevant, none other than former Eagles and NFL scout Dan Hatman, who is now the Director of Scouting Development for the Scouting Academy. He is a must-follow on Twitter all year long at Dan underscore Hatman. Dan, take us through what's the role of the scouts at this time of year because the coaches and the senior-level executives, you know, they're deep into the draft process. So what are the scouts who have done all the legwork, who have done a lot of the stuff to formulate the plans for this to this point, what are they doing at this time of year? Yeah, so we'll start by breaking into two, the two big camps, the college scouts and the pro scouts. So the, as you mentioned, the college scouts went out in August and started going to all the schools in their area, uh, went to some of them two, three times, digging on background, digging on, uh, what the coaches had to say about him, what the film had to say about him, what practice had to say about him, and really trying to get all of that information available for the decision makers. 
they turn all that over after the end of the regular season, uh, after Thanksgiving, start bringing that stuff together, getting the original boards put together before we get into all-star game season, combines, what have you. And so now that all that comes through, now their role uh, shifts over to kind of a process we call cross-checking. So now what most decision makers will do is they will assign scouts both pro and college a position group, give them all of the draftable graded players at that position group. Uh, for example, in, in my time, you know, running back was a position that I tended to get annually. So I would get a list of here's all the running backs, regardless of area across the country, all the draftable graded guys. And then my job was to go through and rank them uh, using our grading scale and essentially create a vertical uh, from you know the best guy at that position down to the lowest graded player. And what that process is designed to do is, is to help um, really work through the clusters that naturally occur with positions. So it, it, we look at rankings, right? We see the top 25 or the top 50 or top 100 or what have you. And what that does is that tells most people that there's a standard drop-off between each player. You know, the difference between number one and number two is the same difference between number 101 and 102. And that's not the case. Each year, how the tiers and the clusters naturally occur is very much uh, at random based on, you know, the players that are available to the team. So you might have, you know, six, seven guys that you have tiered towards the top of the draft as truly day one impact type players. Um, You might end up having... 40 guys that you like between the 25th pick and the 50th pick um, that you think have a relatively similar value, what have you. And so when you start going through those positions and cross-checking them, it helps give one more voice of someone that's watched every player at that position. So when you sit there and have a discussion between, hey, we've got these two wide receivers or we've got two wide receivers in the defensive back, all have the exact same grade. We're on the clock. How do we want to... Uh, structure this decision, um, you have someone who's, who's thought through that. Uh, Dan, so, so where we are in the process right now, um, looking at where we are, uh, the combine has come and gone, the same with the All-Star Games, and we're really into the pro day circuit right now. From a scout's perspective, where, does that, where do pro days fit in uh, to those rankings that scouts have to put together? You know, I think for the scout, they've already done so much homework on the tape um, they've interviewed the player at an all-star game. They've interviewed the player at the combine. Um, most of the haze in the barn, using an old farm analogy there. So the pro day might give you an opportunity to fill in a gap. Let's say that there was 20 bits of information that you felt you needed to acquire on the player before you covered every base. And you got done with all that and you covered 19 of them. But now you, you, know, you had a question on some short area quickness, um, that you saw in film, the individual didn't test out at the combine, and now this might be the one glimpse that you have to get a, an objective number on how well that player moves in a short area. So you're watching the short shuttles or the three cones to try to get a glimpse into that. Uh, but for the scouts, you know, the, the pro days from the number standpoint don't weigh as heavily the position drills, another chance to work them out, the combine, you know, the coaches are on the field. It's such a kind of a structured environment from that standpoint. Um, now, at the pro day, you might have an opportunity to pull a guy aside, have them work on a different drill, 
that would not be standard combine issue. Might bring one of your position coaches in to execute that if you feel that's important. Um, but for the individual scout, not a not a whole lot is going to make or break that. Now, for the coaches and the other people involved, those can be very important events. Dan, one of the players that has gone through a pro day pretty recently was Miles Jack, and you know it's really interesting. I think he's one of the most interesting case studies in this class, just because of the roles that he can play for an NFL defense, but. You know, you've been in these discussions. You've talked with coaches in a war room. You've talked with them leading up to the draft. And when you see a player like Jack that, yeah, in theory, he can play six, seven different positions for a, for a defense and do all these different kinds of roles. But how is a player like that, when you get into one team's draft room and you're looking at how he's going to fit one particular scheme, how, do, how does a coach look at a player like that? And how, how, what are your overall feelings on a player like Miles Jack? Yeah, it's a really important balance because you have to heavily weight your coordinator and your position coach's opinion in a situation like that uh, when you're deciding what he would do for you and how often. Um, so you're looking at an individual like Jack. You've heard everything from your, your typical uh, overfront 4-3 outside backer all the way towards safety. You've heard him matching up in the slot, a variety of different things, you know, the scout brings all that information to the table. Here's what the film says. Here's what UCLA asked him to do. Here's what the workouts said. Here's what the interviews and their coaches said. So you bring all the information up to your decision makers, your GM, personnel directors, coaches, what have you. And then, you, like you said, start having that conversation about where would our coaches want to see the player fit in? What role would they have? Um, what kind of impact? How many snaps per game? Is this someone that we're going to, you know, base things around? Uh, easily slot into a position that we already have structured on our team uh, does this individual need to have a position crafted for them do we need to adjust things is he that special that we want to do that are our coaches willing to do that um, and then you start getting into those philosophical conversations about matching up um, the individual skill set and what you've seen about the player to what your coaches would want to do and you might have some that are stubborn and fight against it and say that he doesn't fit our our natural uh, profile and I don't want to make adjustments. You might have some that are drooling over the opportunity to get creative. And again, it just depends on the personalities in the room. Dan, you were here in Philadelphia. You worked with Howie Roseman. You were here when Doug Pearson was an assistant coach. A lot of mock drafts at this point have the Eagles taking running back Ezekiel Elliott from Ohio State at the number eight overall pick. A, I guess this is a two-part question for you, Dan. A, do you think that the Eagles would value the position enough to take someone like Elliott that high? And then B, knowing what you know of Howie and Doug, is it worth taking the running back that high? Fair enough. Uh, so one, could I see them doing that? Do I think they would uh, rate him in a position like that? Yes. Um, they're, those individuals, Howie, Doug, they are not – afraid to look a good player in the eye regardless of position and identify that. Um, I think they're aware of positional value, but I think they're also aware of a unique talent. Um, and in my personal opinion, I think Ezekiel Elliott provides a unique talent. Uh, now, I'm someone that is outspoken about uh, not valuing running back by comparison to other positions as highly. Now, that comment assumes all players are graded the same. So if I had a bunch of players all graded the same, I would take a variety of other positions before I would address running back. In this particular case, 
I do not see Ezekiel Elliott being graded similar to everybody else in the class. I think he's in that absolute top tier of players um, that can be difference makers. And in this class, with some of the other positions being as deep as they are with similar guys, I think offensive line provides similar depth throughout the first, second, even top of the third round. D-line in a similar position. Um, even some of the cornerback positions provide consistent depth. Well, I don't see the drop-off as being as dramatic. Um, I don't think there's somebody in the running back class that matches him, so, him being Elliott. Uh, so, yeah, I could see them taking a shot at that, and I think it'd be, I think it'd be an excellent um, addition to that run game. Dan, we're, we're hearing more and more about uh, the role of analytics and, and what that does uh, for these draft prospects as far as spark testing and things like that. As a scout, how much do you weigh the analytics, the pure numbers, versus just what you're able to see with the naked eye when you watch these guys either on film or, or on tape or in person? There are tremendous opportunities to marry the two together. Um, I don't, I don't see the need to put them in this oil water scenario that uh, the majority of the space being both in and out of football seem to want to um, play them in, where the two sides have to compete and one has to win. Um, those that are really smart about the quantitative side understand its limitations. And I think those of us who should be smart about the, the qualitative side, the scouting side, should also be able to recognize that we can go in and watch an individual, you know, let's just keep we're going running backs. We can watch an individual read and execute inside zone and determine that Alfred Morris is a capable inside zone runner. He's very good at it. In college, he presented the same situation, taking the sixth round and how he applied it in Washington in that scheme. But um, from an athletic standpoint, how does he match up to his peers at the same position group? He's not the similar caliber athlete. And so having those numbers available to you, being able to understand what percentile, it's uh, something that teams have been using. I think it's an incredibly intelligent way to approach it. Here are the percentiles. What are the numbers for NFL starters? from zero percentile to a hundred, just like when you're, you know, kid on a growth chart, trying to look at all of it. And is this player in the 20th percentile, in the 80th percentile? Um, I think most teams in a vacuum would argue that they want good athletes, right? If you ask anybody around football, I want them big, strong, tough, fast, athletic, competitive, you know, blow the game, all the same platitudes get explained. But when it comes time to actually understanding and objectively evaluating those different pieces, why not look at the numbers and match them all together? The thing that's interesting about a spark measurement, um, not that they consistently use it the same way these days, but it's a weight-adjusted athletic score. And that becomes important because watching a 190-pound player run a sub-four short shuttle or watching a 225-pound player run a 405 short shuttle um, could actually bear out that the 225 is a you know better athlete. He's moving more weight at a better speed. Um, so yeah, I think getting those kind of measurements into the mix and applying them intelligently can certainly help. Dan, my last question for you is this, and it's another two-part question here. First, you went on draft. Uh, you went on draft Twitter yesterday and asked for asked fans for their favorite players that who are considered outside the top 100 at this point. Um, so who are some of the responses that you got that you particularly like? And the other part is when it comes to the late round philosophy of the NFL draft for a team, 
are you of the mindset where you take the best overall player or do you look for a superior trait whether it's you know the athleticism the measurables what have you and go with that instead uh, I'll, I'll tackle the second part first. I think that's the most interesting uh, because it's so different depending on the individual decision maker. So for me, if I'm sitting in a big chair, I want to have a uh, very open conversation with my coaches. I am uh, vocally of the opinion that the assumption of player development is a failure to the scouting side of things. I believe that coaches can develop players. It has historically been proven, but not every coach can develop every player. And so I want to have a, a good understanding of what they're looking for, um, what they would like to work with to the best of our ability, apply that. Now, clearly, if we have someone that we feel on the scouting side really provides a unique trump card, like you mentioned that one thing later in the draft. So they have a unique trump card that I think we can apply or just an overall unique prospect. I would obviously want coaches that can be flexible and try to meet you in the middle on that. But if you put a square peg in a round hole in the situation where you go ahead and acquire somebody, let's say in the fourth or fifth round, that the scouting side is very, very excited about, they have a trump card, they have something that they believe can be developed, and then you give them to a coach that doesn't want to develop that or doesn't believe that trait can be developed, all of a sudden you have an opportunity for failure. And why would you want to introduce that to the mix when we're, you know, we're desperately trying to find 46 guys who can play on game day. So assuming all my coaches are flexible and they, they feel like they can develop and what have you, I would like to idealistically attack each round of the draft with trying to find someone that eventually could start for you, whether it be spot duty um, or as a, as a permanent start. I would That philosophy makes sense to me. Now in application, do those players present themselves in every round? I mean, some make the argument that historically we've found starters in every round. Therefore, every year we should be trying to find starters in every round. Unfortunately, I don't believe every draft class provides that. Um, and so I do think you get to a point in certain draft classes where you need to find quality role players, whether that role be as a rusher, as a nickel defender, as a special teamer, um, what have you, and then you know make sure that that matches up with a spot where a person can really compete for you know, one of the 53, one of the 53 spots, I guess you add to 10 for the practice squad and call it 63. So, you know, my late round strategy, I think, is a little bit dependent on what the board presents to us. Um, like I said, idealistically, you'd like to find starters, but I'm not sure that's always the case. In terms of guys later in the draft that I've seen something on that is intriguing, um, it's hard not to get intrigued by uh, the Tyler Irvin uh, running back there, um, he's intriguing. I like, uh, I actually like the Copperich running back at Illinois State. He was intriguing. Uh, Austin Blythe is an offensive lineman. Uh, has caught my eye in certain situations. Um, and then actually, I got one response I got a kick out of just because I'm a, a fanatic for special teams, and that's uh, Tom Hackett there um, being someone that, that, that could and probably will be considered by some as a draftable player. Uh, his guys like been falling outside of that top 100. Dan Hatman, former NFL scout and now the director of scouting development for the Scouting Academy. Phenomenal work. Uh, make sure to check it out on Twitter at Dan underscore Hatman. Dan, thank you very much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. No problem, guys. Thank you for having me. 
Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, great stuff there from Dan. Now our Pick 6, six players we like from small schools, not named Carson Wentz. And I'll kick things off here, and I'm going to go with a player who we briefly mentioned back in Draft Buzz. He was in Tommy Lawler's mock draft, and that's Javon Hargrave from South Carolina State. 6'2", 309 pounds, arguably the best player at the Shrine game, which you guys attended, so you Mm -hmm. can speak more on that. Uh, Put on a show at the Combine, but he had 29 and a half sacks as a defensive tackle. Just truly remarkable production for a small school player. Yeah, at Hargrave, like I said earlier, he, he fits perfectly as a three technique and a four three. That would make a lot of sense, Javon Hargrave. So uh, the next one I'll go with, I'll go with DeAndre Houston Carson, the, the safety from William & Mary, a guy that we saw at the senior ball, Alex, former corner, transitioned to safety this past year as a senior, wanted to make the switch because he wanted to be more involved with the run game, ended up leading the team in tackles, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, and a guy that can do everything you need from the safety position. And really impressed me with his angles and just his awareness, his overall ability to defend routes at every area of the field. He's got the ball skills. He's got the length. He's got the athletic ability. He's got the, the toughness, the ability to come downhill. I mean, he's a five-tool player. You talk about five-tool players in, in the baseball world. He's a five-tool player at the safety position. Uh, DeAndre Houston Carson, I think, is one of the best safeties in the draft. Yeah, I like Houston Carson a lot as well. But just talking about him and Hargrave, um, I think they're probably day two players in this year's draft. The guy I'm going to look at first, uh, probably a day three pick, and that's Victor Oshi, the pass rusher from Stony Brook. We saw him uh, at the Shrine game, yep. Fran, and not the biggest guy. I think he's listed at uh, six foot or six two. He's only two, like 246 pounds, so he doesn't have a lot of uh, you know muscle at that defensive end spot. But I think he plays really hard, and I think that could go a long way for a guy like him. Got a couple different pass rush moves that he can work with. He definitely needs to get stronger, needs to get a little bit bigger at the next level. But with how hard he works, I certainly think that uh, you know, he's one of these interesting small school prospects to look at. You, you've liked him early on in the process, Alex. I do like him. He was, I mean, he was one of the standouts down at the Shrine. Yeah. So that makes sense. All right, so a uh, little off the beaten path here. I'm going to go with a tight end for my second pick, and that's David, David Morgan II from Texas San Antonio. Uh, run blocker extraordinaire, was supposed to play in a Shrine game but suffered a knee injury. Um, he's not explosive. He's, I think he run just just uh, under 5-1 in the 40-yard dash, so um, not going to be prolific from uh, an athletic standpoint, but has solid hands and is good size at 6'4", 260 pounds. So, um, you know, could have gone with the Ronald Blairs, other names, that guys we talked about. I was trying to find someone who we really haven't talked about too much in this process, so I know tight end's not going to be a huge position of need, mm-hmm. you know, with the Eagles, with Selleck and Ertz getting new deals this offseason, and uh, Trey Burton showing a lot of promise as a potential fullback in the new Eagles offense, but still, want to give a little love to David Morgan in the second year. For, for what he is, I love David Morgan, and it got, he actually reminds me a little bit of Owen Daniels, who obviously has had a long, very productive NFL career, does everything well, He's but he, like you said, he's not the biggest kid, he's not the most explosive, but has always found a way to be productive. He's got very good hands, uh, showed the ability to win both against corners and linebackers at UTSA, really helped put that program on the map as they really tried to build that program up down there in Texas. And, and Morgan is a guy that really, really impressed me. First uh, uh, All-American in school history was yeah. my last footnote yeah. on him. He's a, he's a really impressive player uh, that I expect, again, be a day three guy. Uh, my next guy is going to be DeAndre Hall, the, the defensive back from Northern Iowa. And, you know, when I first watched him, everything was as a corner. And he's got extremely long arms, longer arms than any corner drafted in the last five years. And then also, as I continue to watch, 
second half of the year he played almost all safety. And so you watch him play both positions, and he's, you see the great run defense, you see the ball skills. You know, I don't know if he's got the speed to consistently hold up on the back end as a, as a corner, but I think that he can play safety and a guy that showed the ability to come downhill and be a factor against the run game and also showed the ability to, to play with uh, you know, awareness on the back end as well. And, and considering the fact that he only played six, seven games at the safety spot, I was really impressed by his ability to take good angles to the football, both in the run and the pass game, you know, take away route concepts in the intermediate area of the field. DeAndre Hall is a really impressive kid that I think can play corner or safety, probably a better fit for the latter at the next level, a, a guy that I really like. So we saw him at the Senior Bowl, Yep. and another guy that we saw is Joe Haig. And you yeah. told me that I couldn't take Carson Wentz because that was the rules of this game. <laughs> couldn't name Carson Wentz. So I'm going to take his teammate, and that's Joe Haig, the offensive tackle. And when, we saw, when I saw him uh, down at the Senior Bowl, the first couple days I wasn't all that impressed with him. There were some really good offensive tackles there, some really good offensive linemen. Uh, but as, you know, as the days kept going on and we, we, we saw more and more practice, I think he really started to hold his own, really started to improve. As time went on, he's really light on his feet. I think he's got the feet to play uh, tackle at the NFL position. He's really quick. He's really light on his feet. He needs to get stronger. It's kind of the same thing that I said with Victor Oshie, where uh, he needs to bulk up a little bit. But you know, if, if he puts on a little bit more weight, he puts on a little bit more muscle, I think that Joe Hay can be uh, a pretty solid tackle at the next, uh, next level. All right, so now it's time for our unofficial visit. And, you know... You got Fran who's excited about the Temple Owls and the Rightfully so. impact that they'll have in this year's NFL draft, the promise they'll have. So why not bring in one of those players, wide receiver Robbie Anderson. Fran goes 101 in this week's unofficial visit. The unofficial visit. Here now with Temple wide receiver Robbie Anderson and Robbie. You're from Florida. You went up to Philadelphia. You played your college football career at Temple University. Uh, for those who have yet to see you play, Eagles fans who have yet to see you play, give us a quick scouting report of yourself. I mean, playmaker, make clutch plays, make big-time plays, run by guys, make guys miss, you know, and play with a lot of passion and energy. And then uh, judging off your feedback that you've gotten from scouts so far, what's one area that you definitely want to improve on throughout the draft process? I mean, definitely just um, getting adjusted to the new level of speed and just critiquing little things so I can be advanced at the next level. One thing I, I noticed watching you is that you've got the ability to win in the quick game as well as vertically down the field. Do you have a, would you rather catch a deep ball for a touchdown or would you rather have a quick catch and run and, and really kind of make a guy miss and, and take it to the house? I like to make guys miss. I like to catch the ball and get going and make guys miss, definitely. And then uh, playing in the, in the conference you guys played in, who would you say was the best player you went up against your senior year? Uh, Tavon Young, my teammate, so... That was the best play I won against this whole season. What makes Tavon so good? I mean, just uh, our competitive nature that we don't, he doesn't want to let me beat him. I don't want to let him beat me. And then just his energy, he don't play to his size, and he has that, that fire inside of him. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, it's time to wrap things up with our draft Mailbag and uh, some good questions here, so we'll get right into it. Uh, Ryan Boer, who goes by at Butang25, how do you correctly identify when to pull the trigger for Dan Vital? This superback could quickly find a role. Well, he's referring to Dan Vital from Northwestern, the fullback. He played the superback position for Northwestern, and that superback they asked that player to line up all over the field. So in the slot, as a wing, H-back, as a tailback, as a traditional fullback, in-line, tight end. 
uh, out wide. I mean, literally all over the place this kid lined up. You know, I, I don't think that he's that type of player. You know, I don't know that he is even uh, who was the fourth-round pick from the Ivy League school that went to the uh, – Kyle Juszczyk. Okay. Uh, yep. from, that went to the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens yep. I don't know that he's that type of athlete. He's close, and his test numbers were very, very good for the fullback position. Um, you know, so we'll see. I'm interested to see what kind of uh, draft slot he's going to end up having next month. But you know, you look at a guy that can play as a traditional fullback, or potentially in a West Coast scheme as well. You know, I think it's it comes down to this is one thing that Howie Roseman's always been good at doing is understanding how other teams value prospects. So, <clears throat> you know, you just have to look around. You see who are the teams that potentially could draft a fullback. If you feel pretty good about where his value is compared to that, and you can try and snag him in the later rounds. Yeah, and of course, fullback is a really interesting topic uh, for the Eagles right now. Doug Peterson mentioned it uh, down at the owners' meetings that uh, it's something that he and the coaching staff are really going to look into whether or not they need to add a fullback or whether or not a guy like Trey Burton could fill that role or one of the other tight ends uh, could be able to line up in the backfield and play that spot. So uh, fullback certainly an interesting position, so we'll see if a guy like uh, Dan Vitale could, could really fit that mold. All right, next question comes from Corey Tockett at Talk on Twitter. At number eight, who's the pick if this is the scenario of players mm-hmm. presented to you? Okay. okay. Vernon Hargraves the third, Ezekiel Elliott, or Ronnie Stanley? Uh, uh. My estimation there... My question with Stanley is, you know, I loved Lance Airlines' explanation for why he went Conklin over Stanley. Um, Stanley has tremendous upside, uh, but there are some question marks with him. But if you're looking at the three positions, you can argue that tackle and corner would be the biggest value to your team. But if you're taking the pure best player you're probably going Elliott of the three. And my reasoning is that you're not just improving the run game, but I think you're going to help the offensive line. He's good in pass protection situations. He knows how to get yards after contact. Um, You'll see a lot more second and manageable situations, which will just help the offense that much more this season. So I would go Elliott personally of the three here. I I think I would agree. I I think of those three guys, I think I would take Elliott because – you know, it really comes down to, and I think this is actually is a little bit lost in the talk of the value of a, of a top 10 running back. Okay. The Eagles need a running back. I, I mean, you trade DeMarco yeah. Murray. You know, Ryan Matthews obviously looked very, very good in, in situations, but has not been able to stay healthy throughout his career. I don't know that you can factor Darren Sproles into that, into that scenario because you want him to be a very specialized player and be able to use him in a lot of different ways. Doug Peterson said at the owners' meetings he's excited about the different ways that they can use Darren Sproles. You know, I think they need a back. So if they, if you want to be able to run the ball, you need to be able to have someone that can, that can be that feature ball carrier. Elliot has shown the ability to be that kind of guy. Uh, you know, I, I think you probably lean that way if that's if if those are the three options. Well, this is going to be a boring answer, but I'm going to agree with both you guys. You I think in this situation, I think uh, Elliot would be my pick for all the reasons that you mentioned, Fran. And you know, you look at the running back position on the Eagles. Uh, the depth chart right now, Ryan Matthews, I think, has two years left on his contract. Sproles has one or two years left. So the future of the running back position is a little bit up in the air. Everybody looks at quarterback, but running back's another spot uh, where they could look to find that guy you know, who could be their guy for a long time. And for me personally, in the first round, I want to hit a home run. I want to find, you know, 
I want to find that guy who could be a potential superstar, especially at number eight. So I look at Ezekiel Elliott, and I think he could be that guy uh, who could really be a next-level talent for the Eagles at the running back position. All right, next question comes from Cody Sandy at Cody J. Sandy on Twitter. Who are some players who could realistically fall into the third round that you would run to the podium for? So for this exercise, I actually went to Chad Reuters' mock draft. Oh, fun. Okay, there you go. Five-round mock nice. draft and started going through third-round guys. Okay. A um, couple that stood out to me. It's Kenneth Dixon on that list. Kenny Dixon is on the list. He would be one guy I would think off the top of my head. Is uh, Xavier Howard on that list? He has Xavier Howard, I believe, in the fifth round. Yeah, see, that would be a guy that I would be very excited about. Tyler Boyd three. is on the list. Yes, for sure. That would be If the Eagles were to get Tyler Boyd in the third round, I'll be doing jumping jacks over in the fan cave studio <laughs> with excitement. Is Christian Hackenberg in his third yes, round? Yes, he is. See, now, the, uh, of course, it all depends on what the Eagles would do yeah. with that first-round pick. Sure. But if you're still looking for a quarterback and then Christian Hackenberg's there with one of your two third-round picks, I wouldn't hesitate. I would agree. I'm just trying uh, to scan I'm the thinking, list. I mean, Tyler Boyd for sure. I really liked the Farrow Cooper pick. He talked about Farrow Cooper yep. in, the, uh, in his mock draft. <sighs> Bronson Kafusi from BYU. Yeah, he's getting he's a lot interested. of buzz. He's getting a lot of positive buzz. Tony Fourth talked round. about him in the draft buzz piece uh, this week on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. You know, how about DeAndre Houston Carson? Yes, he yeah, is, I'd be excited about that one too. He is a fourth round selection. Yep. in this mock draft. So some some good players. That's a lot what of I mean. good. There's it's, a lot of good talented players, and I think I feel like we've been saying this now for the the last couple of years. You get into that like 18 to to 50 range. I love like that group of talent. So now, and some of those guys are going to fall. I mean, those, yeah. those guys, every year, those, some of those players that, you know, in pre-draft are 1850 in most uh, prognosticators' uh, analysis, and then their big boards, they fall into the third round or into the fourth round of the draft. It's, it's only a matter of time, so I, I'd be excited. About and and look guys. who the Eagles drafted in that range last year, guys like Eric Rowe and yep. Jordan Hicks, two mm-hmm. players that are going to be most likely going to be starters for this team starting off next season. So, I mean, you can, you can certainly find impact players in that range. Yep. The fun exercise, I think, will be seeing how other teams rate those players. Yep. I mean, it shows why the Eagles wanted to get into the top ten to begin with, but when you mention those, you know, the 15 to 50 guys, it's like teams could be all over the place. Yeah. Um, so seeing where some of these guys are going to go on draft weekends can be very fascinating, to say the very least. Uh, our good friend Jared Wills at Pensor 76 uh, says Schwartz, Jim Schwartz wants fastballs. The Eagles didn't add depth in free agency, so who are some late round two guys to watch? You know, I think that in terms of late round guys to watch, I would say really when you look at the defensive end spot, you you mentioned it earlier, Alex, Carl Nassib, the length. If you want to build a Jim Schwartz team, you talk about Kyle Vandenbosch, Talk about some of the players that he's brought in. Jason Jones, who mm-hmm. played for him in Tennessee and Detroit. Uh, they drafted Devin Taylor from South Carolina. All longer defensive ends that have some movement to them. Can line up inside, line up outside. Carl Nassib certainly fits that bill. Emmanuel Ogba, I think, fits that bill. Sean Oakman, Kafusi, you know, R- Romeo Aquara, I think, in the later yeah. rounds from Notre Dame. We saw him down at the Shrine game. I think he fits that bill as well. You know, in, in terms of, like, fastballs, you know, the quote-unquote fastballs, that he, and he's alluding to what Andy Reid used to call those defensive ends coming yep. off the edge, typically were those undersized players, you know. So, you know, could uh, Yannick Nguikwe, the, uh, the edge rusher from Maryland, could he be in the mix there? Ron Thompson from Syracuse, James Kowser, Jason Fanica from Utah. There's a, 
there's a lot of interesting players in this edge rush group. Not a ton of talent at the top like what we had last year, mm-hmm. but I think it's pretty good depth. Yeah, and I messed up the question. It was actually late round guys, not late second round guys. Yeah. So my right, he used, he used two. He used the number two. Yeah, and, and I just can't read. So. <laughs> uh, last but not least, Zachary Aldifer2 on Twitter wants to know what time is the draft and Eagles Draft Central begins Thursday, April 28th at 7.30 p.m. PhiladelphiaEagles.com and, and right. the Eagles mobile app. And we have the pre-show on Wednesday. I believe it's at 5 o'clock. So you'll get you to that. And we'll have the, the Journey of the Draft podcast that week. We will have stuff for you each and every day that week uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So that's going to do it for us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA for Fran Duffy and Alex Smith. I'm Chris McPherson. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.